most of us consider Paul to have been one of the greatest evangelists to have ever lived. He taught numerous people. He went everywhere proclaiming the gospel. How many of us take a look at the Bible pages and we read about Paul and wish that we could be like him, that we could teach folks the way he did, that we could evangelize and convert folks to Christ the way Paul did? I am convinced, brethren, that in fact we can. We can do what Paul did. But in order to do what Paul did, we've got to be like Paul was. And as we look at the Apostle Paul, we recognize that Paul was an evangelist, not just because he was good at teaching, but because Paul had a lifestyle of evangelism. Paul's life was about proclaiming that gospel and bringing people to Jesus. And we ourselves need to be like Paul in that. Our lifestyle needs to be one of evangelism, of getting that good news out to folks who are lost and letting them know about the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. As we consider Paul's lifestyle of evangelism, we can look at places where we see him in action. For instance, look in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul as he's coming to Philippi. And there we find him with two different people converting them to Christ. And as we examine this situation and as we examine Paul in Acts chapter 16, I believe we can find seven keys to Paul's lifestyle of evangelism. What made Paul so successful? Let's look at what we find. As we consider the things that made Paul successful, we look at Acts chapter 16. The first thing we're going to recognize about Paul is that Paul desired to save souls. You take a look at this in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to women who met there. And it goes on to talk about Lydia and her conversion. What was Paul's purpose for being there? He wanted to teach people the gospel. While he was there, what was he thinking about? Teaching people the gospel. Paul had a desire to save souls. When you look at Paul in the Scripture and see his success at evangelism, we need to recognize that Paul was not a success at evangelism because he desired to teach. Paul was a success at evangelism because he desired soul salvation. That's what excited him. That is what thrilled him. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, the Scripture there says, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. What desire did Paul have? His desire was to save souls. 
And we need to have that kind of hunger. Think of all the lost people that are out there. If they died tonight, they're going to spend eternity in hell. We need to have a desire for their soul's salvation. We need to look at people and see their destiny and have a desire to help them go to heaven. Look in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1. We find Paul again in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. He said, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He wanted to preach that gospel. Why? Because he wanted some fruit. He wanted souls to be saved. We need to have that desire. We need that, to have that hunger. Do you want people to go to heaven? If we're going to be evangelists like Paul was, if we're going to get out and spread that gospel, that's what's got to be in our mind. I want folks to go to heaven. Because if we get that down, everything else we're about to talk about will come natural. Number two, when we consider Paul and his lifestyle of evangelism, we recognize that we need to know what to teach. If you go back over to Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, it says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. We can look in Acts chapter 16 and verse 32. While they're in jail and dealing with the Philippian jailer, it says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Paul was a successful evangelist because Paul knew what he was going to teach. He was going to teach the gospel. He was going to teach the word of the Lord. Now, this teaches us two things when we think about it. Number one, if I am going to be able to have a lifestyle of evangelism, converting folks to Christ as Paul did, I have to know what to teach. I've got to know the gospel message. I've got to be conversant with it so that I can talk to people about it, so that I can tell them what it says. As 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 reminds us, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, the scripture there says, 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to be ready to give that defense. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, he says, You must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul told Timothy, go back to the Word, study the Word, stay in the Word, learn the Word. That'll make you wise for salvation. That'll help you teach others so that they can also be wise for salvation. But not only should we know what to teach, not only should we know the Gospel, but when we consider Paul in Acts chapter 16, we recognize that we need to have a plan to teach. How are we going to approach this? We may know what the gospel says, and we may be able to get folks to the Word of God and show them what it says and where, but if we're going to actually do that, we've got to have some kind of plan. How are we going to do this? How am I going to approach folks? How am I going to prospect? How am I going to make contact? How am I going to conduct the study? 
if we remember what it said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Paul had thought through more than just what does the gospel say. He had even thought about plans for how to deal with different individuals. You remember what it said? We read it just a moment ago. Moment ago. He said to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those without law, as without law. You see, he had thought about who are the different people I'm going to be talking with. How do I need to approach them? How do I need to behave around them to help convert them? He had a plan. He thought about what he was going to do. When you go through and look at what Paul did, every time he went into a city, he had a plan. First, I'm going to go on the Sabbath day to talk to the Jews. Then I'm going to go meet some Gentiles. He had a plan. He knew which way he was going. That's what we need to do. We need to have a plan. Each of us individually, and even as a congregation, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make prospects? What are we going to do to contact folks and get their interest level up in spiritual things? Once we have that, what are we going to do to study with them? Are we going to have some material that we take with us? Or are we going to develop our own material? Are we just going to take a notepad and just go through some verses? Whatever the case is for you, whatever you're most comfortable with, as long as you're preaching the gospel, it doesn't matter to me what your plan is. But just each of us has to have that in our mind. How am I going to do this? How am I going to preach the gospel? I think second to a lack of desire, this is probably the greatest problem that most Christians have that keep us from being the evangelists that we know we ought to be and want to be. We're afraid that we don't know enough. And even if we're certain that we know enough gospel, we're not really sure, well, how do I approach this thing of actually trying to talk to someone? We need to think that through and have a plan and work on that. And then we'll be able to be like Paul and have a lifestyle of evangelism. The third thing is that we need to have targets in mind. When you look there in Acts chapter 16, Paul on the Sabbath day, he knew exactly where he was going. He recognized, according to Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. Why? Because that's where prayer is customarily made. He knew some of the people he wanted to talk to, and he knew where he could find them. He knew that on the Sabbath day, <coughs> evidently, when we look back historically, there obviously weren't enough men who were Jews to have an actual synagogue there. So what do we do? Well, there's always going to be a place of prayer out by the riverside if there's not a synagogue. So on the Sabbath day, we'll head out there. Go to where the folks are that I want to talk to. He had targets in mind. Individuals, specific, at least, if not specific individuals, specific kinds of individuals that he was going to go to. We need to do the same. We need to think about who are the kinds of folks that are most apt to listen to the gospel message. We need to give consideration to the folks that we know that we might have opportunity and, and even write it down. A friend that you have that you think, I, I need to talk to them about the gospel. Put it down. Make them a target and think about, how am I going to get this done? Have targets in mind. Folks that you are specifically thinking about. Do you know who the number one group of people we can actually get studies with and convert most readily? Folks who are guests in our show. People who on Sundays or on Wednesday nights, despite all the other things that they could have done, have decided to come and see what's going on at the Franklin Church of Christ. They're the number one group. And so, what do we need to do? We need to figure out ways to talk to them. We need to figure out ways to study with them. You need to figure out plans for how you're going to approach them and follow up with them. We also need to figure out ways about how to invite and let folks know that they can come check us out. You got those cards. How many of you picked up these cards? Get several of them. 
Take them with you. Let folks know about what's going on here. The ones who show up who are our guests, they're the ones that we're most likely going to be able to convert. I think sometimes we overlook the spiritual interest that they have. We come to church on Sunday every Sunday. And so it, it, it's, you know, it's just not a big deal to us. We're not, we're not sacrificing much anymore because we've been doing it so long. This is just what we do. But when a non-Christian on a Sunday decides to show up and worship with us, that is an amazing thing. And we need to realize how powerful that is. And make use of that. Folks who've gone through trying times in their lives, often open to spiritual things, they're looking for something to help them come to grips with what goes on in the world. Families with small children. That's the number one religious change group in our nation. These are all folks that we can see, that we can talk to, who will listen, who we can have impact on. And if we're going to be like Paul, we need to have targets in mind. However, as we look at Acts chapter 16, we also recognize that while Paul had targets in mind, Paul also re recognized that contacts are everywhere. I don't want to get so caught up in having targets that I miss the contacts that are around me all the time. He went to the riverside and he met Lydia over there. There was one of the targets. He ends up in prison, and lo and behold, a jailer, a pagan jailer. Not a man of prayer, not a man devoted to the God of heaven, but a man devoted to idols and idol worship. Could there be anybody different from Lydia, anybody more different from Lydia than this man? Who would have thought that the man that is holding Paul and Silas in jail would actually listen and become a child of God? Who would have thought of that? Who would have said in their mind, oh, I've got a target and it's that Philippian jailer who's a pagan idolater. He's the one I'm going to talk to. Who would have thought that? And yet here he was, a great contact. And so while we have targets in our mind, we've got to make sure that we keep our eyes open for all those around who might listen. And we need to realize that everybody needs to. Did I tell you, these cars... Those cards are really an awesome tool for us because it's very easy. We can just pass those off to everybody. A bunch of them, I know, they're going to toss them right in the trash. But there are going to be some folks that we may not have ever thought would look at that and decide to come worship with us. But some will. We need to realize the possibilities that everyone represents. That's what Paul did. He recognized the possibility with this jailer. And he was taught. Have targets in mind, but look for contacts everywhere. We need to recognize that a contact's receptivity level can change. When we talk about a receptivity level, we mean how receptive are they to hearing the gospel message. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Certainly the jailer was there. The jailer was hearing this. And yet throughout all this singing, throughout all this praising and praying, the jailer not once came to Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't very receptive during that time. He knew why Paul and Silas were there, but he wasn't receptive. He didn't come to them and say, what have I got to do to be saved? But then the earthquake happened. And I don't know all this entailed and what brought his receptivity level up that got him interested in hearing, what have I got to do to be saved? But after the events of that night, the prisoners, 
that didn't escape despite the earthquake, all of that. Then the Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, what have I got to do to be saved? Even in one night, his level of receptivity to the gospel changed. And we need to recognize that. There are folks that we see today, they're not receptive. They may not have a care in the world. Maybe they don't see any of their spiritual needs at all. And so you talk to them about the gospel and they couldn't care less. But who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows what earthquakes may occur in their lives and change their level of receptivity? We need to understand this and keep this in mind. Paul recognized this. And that's what made him a successful evangelist. In fact, it kind of leads us into our final two points. The sixth thing that we need to recognize is that we shouldn't be discouraged when some folks aren't receptive. You go back to Acts chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was converted. He was talking to women. Only one of them heard and was converted, at least at this time. Now, we might find that as discouraging. Here's a group of people worshiping, and only one of them will be converted to Christ. Yet Paul wasn't discouraged, and I'm pretty certain of that, considering the way he acted there in prison, singing hymns of praise to God, even while in prison. He wasn't discouraged at all. He kept plugging right on along. But one of the other things we need to keep in mind here, why we shouldn't be discouraged, is because of that last point. Their receptivity level will change. There are folks today who aren't interested. Our job is not to force them to be interested. Our job, as 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 points out, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Our job is not to make people interested in the gospel. Our job is to plant and water. And that's it. And that's all we should do. And we should keep doing it no matter what they do. Today they may not be receptive. But who knows what will happen tomorrow and next week and next year and five years from now and ten years from now. Who knows what might happen in their lives to cause them to realize their spiritual needs. And if we've planted and we've watered when they realize their spiritual needs, guess who they'll come to in fact, that's our last point. If we're going to have a lifestyle of evangelism, we need to live in such a way that those who become receptive know to whom they can go. I don't know what was going on completely in the Philippian jailer's mind, but why at the end of this earthquake and all that happened to him and Paul cried out, don't harm yourself in Acts 16, 28. In verse 29 of Acts 16, he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why did he go to them? Why didn't he go to some of the other prisoners? Why didn't he call on his idolatrous priests? Why didn't he go to some of the other the Jews in the town? Because he saw something in the way Paul and Silas lived that when he became receptive to the gospel, he knew who he should go to. We need to live like that. 
In Acts 16 and 25, when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, they weren't trying to force some type of evangelistic moment to manipulate the situation just to try to make a contact. All they were doing was living as Christians are supposed to live. James 1, 2, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. That's all they were doing. They were in various trials. They were counting it all joy. But the jailer saw that. And when he became receptive, he knew who he should go to. When we look at Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, they were not praying and singing to be seen by men. But neither were they afraid to be seen by men while they were singing and praying. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. The Scripture there says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We're supposed to live in such a way that we're confessing Christ before men. This is far more than talking about the person who comes forward in the service and we ask him, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? before we baptize them. This is talking about our everyday walk of life. We should be living in such a way that when people look at us, they know that's a Christian. There's somebody that if I want to know what the Bible says, I can go talk to them. There's somebody that if I want to know how to go to heaven, I go talk to them. That's how we need to be living all the time. Church, the Bible, God, Jesus, all of those things ought to be so much a part of our lives that people see it in us all the time. It ought to be a part of our conversation. When folks ask us on Monday, what did you do this weekend? Every single one of us ought to say, I went to the Franklin Church of Christ, and it was awesome. When somebody says, man, you're really good at that, our response ought to be, God has blessed me. When somebody says, why are you so happy? It ought to be because I'm a Christian, and Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. That ought to be part of our life. That ought to be part of our conversation. That ought to be a part of everything we do. And when people become receptive, they'll know who to come talk to. We can't force them to be receptive. But we can provide the teaching and the example so that when their earthquakes do come, they know where to go. And that will only happen if we live with a lifestyle of evangelism, of spreading the good news, of constantly thinking about and desiring how I want people to go to heaven. Do you want people to go to heaven? I think we all do. That's one of the reasons we're here, right? We want to go to heaven. We want to take as many people with us. This isn't about getting empty pews filled. This isn't about having numbers on the board in the back. This is about getting people who are going to hell, going to heaven, thinking about their eternity, and providing them the greatest gift we could ever give them, the gospel. Look in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What's the power of God for salvation? The gospel message. And we need to be getting it out. We need to be teaching it to folks. We need to be following the example of Paul. Would you please pull out your songbook?